0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from the book of Jonah, starting in chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Rise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. But Jonah rose to flee the Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So, he paid the fare, went down into it, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So today we're starting the book of Jonah, and often Jonah is known because of a giant fish. And who doesn't like fish stories? Because so that's why most people read it and understand about it. And they believe because that that's the reason why it's in the Bible, because of this big miraculous fish, right? But then Jonah goes to Nineveh, a notorious city of the Batra, and they all convert. But in the end, Jonah's disappointed, and the story ends in a bit of a cliffhanger. And the story has two parts. Two times the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, one in chapter 1 and one in chapter 3. So it creates a kind of a, a little two-panel story. Uh, chapters 1 and 2 is one, and then 3 and 4 is another. With the center verse and the theme verse being salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, one theologian said, "This is the center of the entire of, of biblical Christianity, summed up in one verse: salvation belongs to the Lord." He said. But so why is it in the Bible? What point did the Book of Jonah you know, serve God's people with? In order to understand why it's there and what it is doing, we need to understand who's telling it and how he is telling the story. First, it's being told by a prophet, Jonah. Prophets generally reveal the word of the Lord to the people of God. And the most common message is this. Repent. It means turn away from false gods, false hopes, false idols, and turn back to the living and true God. This is also given to a people who had turned from God, but who didn't really, uh, uh, whom God didn't turn from. His love was still upon them. God didn't give up on Israel, these ten northern tribes, who followed Jeroboam against Rehoboam. You're like, oh my gosh, biblical history, first thing in the morning, here we go. All right, get ready. You can read that in 1 Kings 12. So, We are centered in the history of Israel around 780-750 B.C. It is generally associated with the reign of Jeroboam II, who, according to 2 Kings 14, did evil in the sight of the Lord, in the same way that Jeroboam I did. So Israel, the people to whom this is primarily addressed, is receiving this, and they are doing evil. That is the context to which it speaks. Then, their greatest threat at the time is this nation of Assyria whose capital is Nineveh. And they're notoriously evil. They're known for barbarous acts such as mutilating the conquered foes, forcing child labor and even child sacrifice. Assyria was a great threat to Israel, so if Israel was running from God, Assyria, and especially their capital, was running even further away. So there's this prophet. And he gives this message to Israel, though, in the form of a narrative. And narratives are stories. And any good story will get inside you and mess with the furniture of your thinking. Right? Uh, think Star Wars. Uh, how important that was for many people's lives who grew up in the 80s and then whose lives were ruined later in the early 2000s and then even further last year. Anyway. And I digress. So, stories do that to us. Um, and what it is, is it's telling the truth through the side door. It is telling the truth in a startling and scandalizing way to wake up the hearers, to make it more hearable than if it were told straight and forthright. It is as Emily Dickinson says, some tell the truth straight. I tell it plain. So narratives tell the truth of God, tell the slants. So, what is this like? Um, put it this way. If you've ever watched football or played football, you know that the the hit that you see uh coming forward at you at hundred miles an hour isn't too bad. Why? Because you're prepared and you can, you know, handle it. The one that is scariest and the worst is the one where you get hit from the blind side and you don't see it. You see, what narratives are doing for God's people is he's getting them from the blind side, telling them, "Hey, y'all are messed up, and you need to repent." And that's what Jonah's—that uh, is what Jonah's role is. So Jonah tells the story of the worst prophet, about how God's people has stopped loving him, but he has not stopped loving them. How he loves runaways. The story of Jonah is 200 proof grace for runaways. And people who are tempted to quit. People who are fearful. And that's who grace goes to. So why does it tell us this? It's telling us stop running and if you're tempted to run, God isn't surprised. How do I know God isn't surprised from your temptation to stop following him? To stop going to church one day. To stop reading your Bible. How do I know? Because the book of Jonah is in the book of the Bible. So God knows. He's not surprised. And this, this is definitely true about us today. Here in Colorado Springs, once known as the Mecca of Christianity, do you know what the number one religious affiliation is? It's no re- religious affiliation. It's none. 40% of people, have no religious affiliation whatsoever. And why is that? Well, many do have legitimate hurts, serious doubts, and unanswered questions. But many, in our given situation, and understandably so, have just never really had a reason to keep going. And so, they just stopped. It didn't really matter in their day-to-day operations. Many of us just got busy got busy with work, school, romance, a job, a career. We just stopped. We ran away like that. So what caused them to run away? Jonah. Jonah is a book that is a gross anatomy lab for us understanding how people run away. It teaches God's people also that he has a heart for the runaways. It shows the inner workings of those who run from him. A number of years ago, I was at the uh, University or Howard University Medical Center, where there I entered a room with buzzing fluorescent lights and the crazy stinging sense of formaldehyde, as I entered a gross anatomy lab. And what did we learn there? By going through all the little body parts and how they work together and seeing how they connect, we understood how the anatomy of a human being works. And so Jonah is a book to sting our senses and our noses to see how runaway faith what runaway faith looks like. What does it mean to run away? And what causes this running away? And we get this in the first few verses. Jonah, though, that book will dissect the anatomy of every person. Why? Because at the heart of every one of us is a runaway. A wayward person. In the Bible, in the book of Jonah, puts us under God's microscope and under His scaffold Give us the true healing surgery every one of our hearts needs. See Jonah is telling us how faith runs from God, and how God comes after those who run. Jonah is a story that will expose all our runaway tendencies in our heart, and it exposes the self-righteous prejudices, the doubts and questions, the pain of suffering, the false saviors, and ultimately asks us to repent. And turn to him. Jonah's running from God. He's taking destiny into his own hands. He's becoming the dungeon master of his own campaign. Uh, That is just really nerdy talk uh, to say that he is in control of his own sovereign world. That's that's all I mean there. Um, And so, we are told here that according to Jonah that his best life, is, and he believes that the chief end of man, you know, as we're told, you know, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But Jonah, he's decided that his chief end is to run away from God and ignore Him forever. But God will not let that be. Jonah calls us back to embrace the God who comes after runaways. And shows his steadfast love, God's always and forever love, is stronger, more beautiful, and more true than any other offers from lesser lovers of this world. Jonah exposes our runaway tendencies, and it shows us what runaways look like down to the heart. To understand our runaway tendencies, though, we need to know how Jonah got there and where the heck he was going. Right. Okay? So, how did he get there? Immediately, the story uh, is, is the story centers on God's word coming to Jonah, and immediately he does what? He runs away. Notice it says in the text it says. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and it says, Arise, go. And what was Jonah's response? Guttural, it does not talk about exactly what was going on in his mind. What happened to Jonah? Jonah, it says, he rose, and the way it says is rose, fled. Rose, fled. He rose and ran away. Instead of rising and going, he did the opposite. And where was he going? Notice it was not to Nineveh, that great city, who has done evil. Rather, it was in the opposite direction. If you know anything about geography, Nineveh is generally to the e- northeast of, of of Israel. He was supposed to head out that direction somewhere in Iran or Iraq. And where did he propose to go? It says three times that he was going to Tarshish, which is where? The other side of the world. In fact, at that time, it was probably the end of the map. Like, where did you want to go? Like, Alright, if Nineveh is to the east with those wicked, evil people who are no good, whom God should never have compassion on, and he calls me to go there, well, that doesn't compute with my brain. So Jonah says, rationalize or decides, and instinctually decides, emotionally decides, I'm going to go west to Spain. And so that's where he goes. But why is that the case? What was the soil of Jonah's heart that caused that kind of action? You see, runa- runaways and runa- you know, the tendency to run away can either be religious or irreligious. And many of Jonah's reasons why he ran away initially were religious reasons. It is because, you know, it says in Second Kings 14, he was part of the court. He even they prophesied. They built a, a wall. And they were afraid of these Ninevites. They were afraid of the Assyrians. And so, of course, God would never have compassion on those dirty little people. He is Jonah. He's a prophet. He even hung out with other prophets in a guild called the sons of the prophets. And what they did was they helped him serve. But one of the things that we learn is that past performance and action does not promise present faith. Does not promise faith in the present. And so, his past actions may have been good. He may have been really religious. But all these little things were causing him to run away from God. It's never one giant reason why people stopped following Jesus. It is never one logical uh, reason or argument, that people say, oh, that makes sense, and then like, well, I better not be a Christian. No. It's It's a million little reasons. It's an entire context of a person's life. And as an avalanche starts with just one snowflake, so our reasons for leaving is compounded. We have many reasons. In Greek mythology, there is the story of Circe, who is a sorceress and seductress. And she would give men all that they wanted, As a while she was turning them into swine. You see, we're all tempted and seduced by something. We all have a love. And what has happened in the context of our world is that it has slowly taken our hearts away from believing that salvation belongs to the Lord, and has slowly made us think that salvation comes by our effort. And maybe we don't confess that, but we absolutely have that. You start to believe that salvation isn't, by, uh, isn't, isn't from the Lord or belongs to the Lord, but we start to believe that salvation belongs to me and the actions that I do. Salvation belongs to something else, if I If I had this house, I would feel better. If my house was clean, then I would be saved. But what it's doing is turning us into something other than human. Love anything in creation more than God and whose image we were actually created in and to behold and to become more like, And we will become less human after that thing we love become surrounded with views that are contrary to your own, and you'll find yourself changing your views. So what was it for Jonah? What started his self-salvation project? And I would actually say it was probably nationalism against Assyria. Maybe it was racism against Assyria. Thinking that just by virtue of his birth, that he was better than these people. That those people do not deserve the compassion of God? And so, whenever that came off, John was like, No, that doesn't make sense. I'm out. But it had been brewing in his heart for so long. You see, past action isn't going to guarantee faith in the present. Maybe you were in a campus ministry, maybe you went to conferences, maybe you helped out at the local social service organizations that doesn't guarantee that you'll be able to listen to God today and the things that matter. So don't presume upon your past to guarantee your present faithfulness. Relying on your past action is reliance on your performance. And if salvation belongs to the Lord, it's never been about your performance in the first place. Let me put it this way. In today's world, belief in Jesus, belief even in the Creator God, believe in the sexual ethics of the Bible, and you are going to be in a minority. And what will be said about you? Do you know what's said um, said about Christian faith on Twitter? It's bigoted. It's backwater. It's regressive. It's patriarchal. And you know what that does? You know what it's doing? It's just shaming you. It's shaming you into changing your mind. Here's the funny thing. Do you know those are actually not arguments against the actual reasoning of the Bible and the arguments for Christianity? It's actually an emotive thing. So, once they stir your emotions by trying to shame you, do you know what happens next? Then they give you these positive things. Well, listen to the story. Then they kind of hit on your, your uh, your emotions this way. They say, don't you want to be compassionate and kind to these people? Look. Look at these people. And they're right. You see, if you've grown up in Christianity all your life and all you've ever heard is that those people over there are evil and wicked, and then once you actually meet a person and they're like not evil and wicked, a non-Christian person, do you know what happens to you? Your brain is short circuited Well, I don't want to be mean and they did. These people seem pretty nice. So maybe Christianity isn't really true, or maybe these parts of the Bible aren't right. And so you see that slow drift. But they have never done anything to the actual thinking, the actual argument. They called you names, but they never actually did anything to the rationality of it. And so, what do we do? We find ourselves in this soil. We see that this is the anatomy of how people change their faith or how they walk away from God. And so, what do we do? You know what I'm going to ask you to do? I'm going to ask you to doubt your doubts. You got doubts, questions? You wonder, why are they calling these names this way? What I want you to do is actually examine it. Think about it. And do it in the community. Ask other friends, people who hold the view that you do. they so like, why? Why do we do that? Why do we ask these questions? You see, you will always be shaped by dominant thoughts at the time and of the age, and you'll be prejudiced against others. Jonah was shaped by the dominant views of nationalism, the uh, of his ethnicity, and so of his race. And so following God, contrary to those views, made Jonah want to run away. See, we're all emotive thinkers. We all want to run away. We don't want to be complete jerks. So, give up a little here, give up a little there. So Jonah grew up believing God was compassionate to him and Israel, but not to them. And when the contrary was presented to him, he takes off. His response is emotional, not rational. It was his gut. Instinctual level that went that way, and so we have to ask ourselves questions: you know, Why would he go that way? Well, of course, why did he go that way? Emotionally, he thought this: like it would have been like going to Nazi Germany and saying, "Hey, your hatred of the Jews is really bad." It would have been like uh, Jonah going, or, you know, telling Jonah to go to a gay rights rally and preaching the traditional biblical sexual ethics. It was like telling the nationalists that they're bending the knee in worship to a political candidate. It's like, telling, uh, it's like showing up to Wall Street to rail against corporate greed. Why does this not compute to him? Because it's suicide. And why do people reject Christianity a lot nowadays? Because it is reputational and social suicide to be seen as anti intellectual It's just in the mode of the you see, Jonah's heart was already gone. Jonah was already running. Jonah was already fleeing. And so what do you do? You need to understand what are the pressures of this world. How is it working? And you need to know and remember that God doesn't leave you alone. isn't an up you know, like he sees runaways. He loves runaways. It's the entire book of the Bible. Our belongs to the Lord. God comes after runaways, just like you and me, and tell yourself the truth that no one else, nothing else, no other story is going to uh, do that to us and love us that way. You need to ask yourself is the Christian story more beautiful or are they holding out to another story? What is that? What does beauty look like to them? You need to ask yourself what is more true? What comports with with the story and history more. So we need to ask ourselves questions. We need to examine and do a growth anatomy lab, a dissection on our faith and why we would run away. So where was Jonah going? It says, away from the presence of the Lord. It says it twice in order that you didn't get it the first time. So he was going to Tarsus away from the presence of the Lord. So Tarsus then becomes this kind of a like Circumlocution—it's a word for another thing, uh, for away from the presence of the Lord. So the entire point was this: it wasn't that Jonah was trying to run away from someone he knew that was omnipresent. Theologically, he definitely said God is everywhere. Of course, he would have gotten that because he would have read Psalm 139 and understood this: Where shall I go from your Spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. He wasn't trying to run away from the omnipresence of God, the theological idea. What was he running away from when he said, the presence. It means His face. It means His love. His mission. His relationship. He's taken off. He was grabbing His own life by His own hands and He was taken off. Neither by religion or irreligion, we are always tempted to run away from the presence of the Lord and that's how we do it. And it's irreligious or religious and there's always a way to get you there. Notice that he goes down to Joppa and, oh, what happens to be there? Exactly what he wanted to find. A way to go away from the presence of the Lord. Look! Oh, hey. And that's what's true about all of us. You want to run from God, you will find the arguments you want. You'll find reasons to leave the faith. If you want to run, there is always a boat to take you away will always be a boat. But know this. The story of Jonah also tells us of the dogged pursuit of a God who loves us and will never give up and goes after runaways to the point that He will die for them. He will exchange His very life for them. For runaways. Like you and me. You see, in Christianity, you really can't grow as a Christian until you realize what are your temptations, what are your triggers, what is the anatomy of a runaway in your heart? What are your doubts? What are your difficulties? You see, I started this new thing called Noon in the New Year. It's a Diet Tracker, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy thing. It like, gives me like positive messages and stuff. And one of the things that it helps you do, uh, because uh, why do I need a dieting app? Uh, this part of this. Like, uh, why do you need a dieting app? Uh, because if it was up to me, my diet would consist of grabbing fistfuls of Flaming Hot Cheetos and straight up go Edward Fortyhand style on Flaming Hot Cheetos. Whenever I want it. Okay, I see you laugh because so people totally know what evidence 40 hands is. <laughs> I'm not the only one who is a runaway at parties. So, but, what we need to do, we need to know our tendency to run away. We need to understand how we do it. Why? Because whatever the heart wants, the mind will find reasonable and the will will do, according to Thomas Cranmer. We need to understand our hearts, and what we love, and what's shaping us, and what direction the compass of our hearts are pointing in. And so we need to become aware of our triggers, our actions, and the consequences of those. Why? Because you will never grow or mature as a Christian until we get at until we understand our hearts and what we love, and what are our triggers and what are our fears. So why is this in the Bible? Why is the Book of Jonah here? It's here because it tells us that God loves the runaway, and every one of you, and myself. In us is the default mode that wants to run far from His presence. Every one of us has reasons to doubt, reasons to be angry. And so the Bible, in the book of Jonah, pushes back at that. and says God has enough grace and compassion for runaways less compassion for those dirty, stinking Ninevites. You don't deserve God's compassion. Those dirty, stinking people are like you and I. Runaways from the heart. But God is doggedly determined in the person of Jesus Christ to come after those runaways and sprint after us and get us. That's why Jonah is there. The story of Jesus and the incarnation of the Son tells us that God comes after the runaway. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. In Jesus' life, He persevered in the temptations in the desert, the temptations to convert and to walk away. On the cross, He was handed over to those who were on the right side of history. And on the third day, He rewrote history in His resurrection. In the life, death, and resurrection, we see that a God who comes, the compassion on doubters, the suffering on the runaways. And we know, we know because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that nothing can separate us from God, from Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. That's why Jonah is in the Bible. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. It was not the work of our hands. Let us go. Almighty and gracious God, meet with us now as we come to your table. And we are invited to run toward you, to repent of false idols, the false ways of living, and to receive you with open arms, the one who runs to us, who sprints a mad dash. Splitting open heaven and earth. To unite all things in Him. To come after runaways. Lord, expose our tendency to run away. Lord, be with us now. In Christ's name. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your heart. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Here, at grace and peace, you come forward for the Lord's table, or at Lord's Supper. Uh, there will be gluten-free bread on both sides. The juice will be on this side. Wine will be on that side. But this is a meal for runaways—people who know and have confessed there's that runaway tendency in all of our hearts, but who also confess that Jesus Christ has come for them. That he sprints after them. And so, if you have not confessed your faith in Jesus Christ, that he is the love of God come to you, that he is the savior of your sins, if you have not professed that in front of others, then we ask that you do not take this meal and eat and drink judgment upon yourself. And we ask instead that you come and ask questions be curious. You doubt your doubts. Come hang out with me. But this is a meal in faith. We don't want you to do anything that's inauthentic to where you are in your, in your spiritual journey. But this is a meal in faith, let us declare and proclaim our faith as signed and sealed in this sacrament. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took bread. He broke it, and He said, This is My body, which is broken for you. Likewise, after supper was ended, Jesus took the cup and said, This is the cup of the new covenant in My blood. Drink of it, all of you. As often as you do in remembrance of Me, for as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim His death until He comes again. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, meet us now at Your table, that we may be transformed and our faith nourished, that we may become more like Jesus, that the tendencies of running away in our hearts would be exposed in Him, and that we will experience love, forgiveness, and grace, and know that salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen.